0: Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. We're also going to have multiple preachers. I'll talk for a few minutes, and then Brett will talk, and then Mark will talk. uh, Oh, y'all just now finding that out? Oh, okay. I didn't didn't realize that. Okay. right. Welcome back to our CYC people, I heard there were 59 who were involved in that trip. That's an outstanding group. I'm sure they are very glad that they went. And I've already been informed that um, any of those who fall asleep in the next few minutes overlook them because they did not sleep well. My response is, did you expect to? You went on a youth trip. You don't sleep on youth trips. Someone said to me, I've only had nine hours of sleep this weekend. I said, well, that sounds like every two days for me. I don't understand y'all. So you're young. They'll be able to handle it. Uh, The adults, we permit you to drift off. All right. Continue our discussion today. And you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be in that text We're also going to be in Ephesians 5, so if you want to turn to those two texts, uh, we're going to consider tonight how to grow a church. How to grow a church. The mustard seed, as we saw this morning, has within its nature everything that it needs to be a mustard tree. The Word of God has everything within it needed to grow the kingdom, to grow the church. I would suggest to you further as we compared that and practically applied it to us as a representative congregation of that universal kingdom, I would suggest to you that we have everything we need to grow this church. We have incredible resources. We have great desire. We have people with tremendous ideas. Like that seed containing everything needed to grow that tree, this church... Has what we need to grow a church to be what God wants it to be. I'm fully, absolutely convinced of that. So we need to ask the question, how in fact do you grow a church? Well let's consider together the text before us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to suggest two things that are Vitally important. Number one, we have to remove the greatest obstacle, which is carnality. And we have to commit to the greatest challenge, which is spirituality. All right. Number one, we have to remove. The greatest obstacle that every one of us faces. And that obstacle is the appeal to carnality. The obstacle that we face is the appeal to the flesh. Now if you don't know what I'm talking about then you're not responsible before God you're okay. But when you get to the point of understanding, okay, (laughs) there's something that feels really good about this world that is a challenge to what God wants me to be, then we all experience what it means to face the obstacle of carnality. Look what Paul says. In these verses, the first four, he tells us some things about carnality. He tells us, number one, that it is the opposite of spirituality. You know what that means? Can't have both and be fully successful. I'm not saying, when I say remove the obstacle of carnality, that we will ever be able to remove it fully. Not one of us is going to be able to say, I've made it. There is no drive to follow the world in my life anymore. It is so wonderful to be in that situation. I never have a temptation. I don't have a bad fault. I don't have any other desires. I have made it. That sounds like paradise. Because once we get there, that's where we'll be. But until we get there, that's not where we will be. It's the opposite of spirituality. Carnality says, all you want is milk and not meat, verse 2. Carnality likes the milk. Now, it doesn't, it's not a full representation because the flesh wants to eat stuff all the time. I mean, I've told you before, when our family goes on vacations, we're talking about dinner during lunch. That's just how we are. So I get it. James is laughing because he knows it. We do it. That's how we do it. So to say milk, not meat, I don't even drink milk. So fleshly, I'd rather have the meat and the vegetables. That's not what he's talking about. Carnality says, I want what's easy, simple. I don't want to think. I don't want to work. Those who desire milk, not meat, really just want everything to be handed to them. And I want it like I want it. And I want it to feel good not be challenging, and I don't ever want to grow up. It's interesting to me that we spend our lives as children bucking the system, wishing we were older, trying to get away from that so people respect us and I can be an adult, I can be on my own. And we get involved in spiritual things and we're happy just to be children just to be children. I don't want to work very hard. I don't want to go very deep. Just feed me. To be carnal is to be at odds with people. Verses 3 and 4, he talked about envy and strife and division. That's what people do. When he says you're... Like mere men is how my version reads. What he's saying is that's what they do. That's what's out there. That shouldn't be here. If we're going to grow a church, you can't have a church that wants to grow where there is envy and strife and division. We can't have people against people and we can't hold people above people. Verse 4. In Corinth, they were arguing, oh, I was baptized by Paul, but I was baptized by Apollos. We can't be people against people, and we can't hold people over people. If we are going to grow a church, we have to get away from carnality, remove that obstacle, go down. Later in the text, verse 18, Notice carnality is deceptive. It makes you think that you're something when you're not. It makes you think this is great when it's not. We talk about a way to describe the deceptiveness of carnality by comparing it to eating meringue all of the time, or cotton candy, all of the time, for a slight second, pretty nice, but how quickly is it gone? Or like any kind of addiction, it's fine in the moment, but when it passes, there's a, a letdown, there's a fall off, and then the next time, you got to do a little bit more to get the same high Carnality is deceptive. Carnality is foolish. Verses 19 and 20. It's not wise. It doesn't think well. Carnality says, I want to think this way because I want to think this way, not because it makes any sense, not because it's even logical. Carnality is foolishness when you compare everything. And finally, carnality is boastful, verse 21. Carnality spends a lot of time promoting self. This is what I want. This is who I am. This is what I need. It's me, me, me. Isn't that back to the childish thing again? Because that's what children are all about. It's what children are all about in those early stages. It's all about them. They don't know any better. They have to learn that life is not all about them. And we spend their time when they're little making sure they understand that as they grow. Why is it then? As adults, sometimes in the Lord's church, it's all about me. You're not doing the way things the way i like i don't want to be that way therefore i'm not going to participate you didn't listen to me you overlook me you don't care about me 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 we have to remove the greatest obstacle but number two if we're going to grow a church we have to commit to the greatest challenge Starting in verse number 5. We have to commit to the greatest challenge. Notice in this text, Paul begins by saying, Yes, there's stuff to do. Look at the words of growing in this text. The words of growing. Verse 6, planted Watered, increase. Verse 7, plants. Verse 8, plants. Verse 9, workers. Verse 10 talks about one who builds. Verse 13, work. Verse 14, work. Verse 15, work. There's no magic pill for growth. There's no magic anything to grow. This committing to the greatest challenge of spirituality is about a commitment to something that in fact is a challenge. Every one of these words in this text is a challenge. It's a challenge to your time. It's a challenge to the money. It's a challenge to my attitude it's a challenge to my family it's a challenge to my talents. think about all of the things that these words imply as a challenge spirituality is not attained in a vitamin pill in one manner it would be nice wouldn't it If every day you could just open the bottle and take a pill and you go, ah, spiritual. There's a way in which that just sounds really good. But in the other side of the thing, that's the exact way that says, I want the easy way. I want the milk way. But spirituality is about a challenge to grow. Look at verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells within you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. Spirituality is about being a part of God, because God is a part of you. This text, chapter 3, temple of God, refers to the church. Now if you go to chapter 6 and look at verses 19 and 20, temple of God, temple of the Holy Spirit, in that case is referencing each individual person and how we live our lives and use the bodies that God has given to us. So in chapter 3, the temple of God is the body of Christ. And in chapter 6, the temple of God is the body Christ gave me. So in chapter 3, we are the temple of God. And if I am the temple of God, then I would be like God because God lives in me. How odd would this be? Parents give birth to children and spend their entire lives saying, We don't want you to be anything like us, we want you to be like them. Wait a minute. What? Every parent that has a child wants to pass on to that child something about themselves. And all the things that we do in our children are designed to say, follow me, listen to me, I'll help you, I'll give to you. It would make no sense for parents to say, I'm trying to raise you to be like somebody else. Doesn't make any sense. Well, if God dwells in me, then he wants me to be like him. He doesn't want me to be like somebody else. He doesn't want me to be enamored by other things. We're the temple of God. That's a challenge. Let's look at it this way. What if it were possible, like In fact, let's put it this way. Let's do it back in the first century when Jesus was on the earth. Particularly, ladies, let me ask you a question. Jesus is walking through town and he sends one of his disciples to you and he says, this afternoon, I'd like to come to your house. What's your first thought going to be? Your first thought might be... Oh, I better clean the house. I better put the dishes away. I better tell my husband, you get over there and do this, and you get over there and do that, because Jesus is coming, and we certainly want to make a good presentation. Well, we are the house of God. And God has come to us. What kind of impression do we want to give God about us as a church? If we're going to grow a church, then we are needing to see ourselves as people who are blessed with the presence of God, who are in the presence of God, and we are making an impression to God about us. Why cannot not be a good mentality for us as God's people? Remove the greatest obstacle, commit to the greatest challenge. So, how are we going to do it? Ephesians chapter 5. I admit that I find myself going to this text often. Verses 15 through 21. This text comes to my mind many, many times. I want you to see four things. If we're going to grow a church, here's how you do it. Again, there are no magic pills. I don't have anything brand new. I, I don't have any... Great new features and wow, these kinds of things. I just simply have these things from God. Number one, if we're going to grow a church, i got to grow me. And you have to grow you. The church, as a congregation, will never rise above the people who are already there. If we're going to grow a church, I have to grow me and you have to grow you. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You you see those instructions? Those instructions Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. And to to that church he addressed those individuals. You grow you. And he summarized it by saying, be filled with the Spirit. I already have the Spirit. I know. Fill it up within you. We've spent three months having good, solid discussions that relate to the health of this church going forward presently and going forward. Good discussions. And they will continue. But it won't work. If we're looking for it to be some kind of external, new, brand new, earth-shaking something, it won't work. It's only going to work when you and I decide to grow ourselves. Number two, I need to grow you, and you need to grow me. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship grows each other. Maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you don't think about it. But it doesn't matter whether I understand it or whether I really feel it. It matters that God said it. What did he say? He said, speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. He is talking about what we do to each other. Yes, we sing to the Lord. There's no doubt about that. But I'm going to tell you something. This church will not grow the way it should or any church unless worship is an active part of the individuals who are trying to grow themselves. That's how it is. There are so many people who teach today, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of a church. How do you do that? It's not possible. He's the head of the church. There needs to be an emphasis on worship, assembly, being together, one another. I grow you and you grow me. It happens in worship. It happens in fellowship. It happens in being together. Sure, there are a lot of different methods we can talk about, and we are. We're going to figure out the best things that we can do to make these things possible. But the truth of the matter is, every person who wants to grow himself or herself needs to be a part of it, because when you are a part, you're growing somebody else. talk to these people who went to CYC. One of the first things they're going to say, I've only been able to go one time, but one of the most impressive things, or at least most visible things, is the fact that for that weekend, they are in the midst of hundreds of other Christians. Just that mere fact of being with hundreds of Christians at one place is an encouraging thing. Why do you think God wants His people to assemble together? Because it's encouraging and it grows each other. Number three, I need to allow you to grow me. Submitting to one another. Sure, I have a job, a responsibility to grow you, to give myself to you, but I also need to be al- I need to allow you to grow me. How do you do that? Well, you listen. You have an idea that I need to hear. You have a concept about text that I need to hear. But if I'm stuck and I've already figured out I've got it all done, I know the best, I know the answers, everything is running the way that I want it because I know it's right, how am I allowing you to grow me? Shepherds do not represent the men who are most set in their ways to keep us on the same path we've always been. That's how some people view shepherds. They, do, they think those are the guys that have been trenched to make sure that we stay where we are. That's not what shepherding is. Shepherding is about moving us forward within the plan of God, the seed that he's been given to us. And we need to allow our shepherds want us to grow them. But we also need to say to our shepherds, we want you to grow us. And all of us need to allow each other to grow each other. But finally, he says, in the fear of God. That's where it all ends, right? I need to allow God to grow me. It's more important that God grows me than that you grow me. It's more important that I have my relationship with God first. But if I have my relationship with God first and you have your relationship with God first, He's growing us But at the same time we're growing each other and part of my relationship to God says I'm submitting to you and I'm assembling with each other and I'm working on me there's nothing really unique about growing a church back in the 80s and the 90s we were about 25 or so years removed as a body of people from the years in which, in a published way, they said who they is, as surveyors and people who do those kinds of things, they said in the 60s, the fastest growing religious group in the United States are among churches of Christ as a body. In the 80s and 90s, we were 20 to 30 years removed from that. And I have a number of books in my office where people were saying, here's how you grow a church. Here's what's going on. Here's what you got to do. And while all of those methodologically will be very helpful to us, the truth of the matter is if we want to grow a a church right here in Richmond, if we want to grow the Richmond Church of Christ, it's all about you and me and who we are with each other and with God. That's what it's about. So I hope that the mustard seed will be an inspiration to us to say, I'm just a little thing. I don't have much influence much power but wait a minute like the mustard seed we have everything we need individually congregationally we grow this church in the way God wants in closing one thought until this moment I said absolutely nothing about numbers intentionally. Because church growth is not about numbers, it's about people. And when people grow, numbers take care of themselves. Let us concentrate on people. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m